Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. It is normally my uh, pattern to begin the uh, academic year with a message on the life of a great missionary. Uh, This year I'm going to conclude as well uh, addressing and examining the life of a great missionary. And I thought it especially appropriate uh, on an awards chapel day when the missionary that we look at uh, was a 1924 gold medal winner who set the world record and the Olympic record in the 400 meters, who was born on the mission field and would die on the mission field. The man's name is Eric Little. So if you would, take your Bible and join me in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, which talks about running in God's race. And I want to speak to you today, and my time may not allow me to say everything that I want, but I'll highlight some things that I would certainly want to put before us as we come to the end of an academic year and a semester. The title of the message is God's Chariot of Fire, the totally surrendered life of missionary Eric Little and the race that he ran. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 1 and reading through verse 3, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. Perhaps the key word in the passage as it occurs in each of these three verses. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, the only imperative, by the way, in the three verses, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Eric Little was born in China to missionary parents, and he would also die in the same country as a missionary. And yet his faithful service to the Lord Jesus as a missionary has been eclipsed in uh, greater society and culture and history because of his extraordinary gift as a runner and the fact that he performed brilliantly in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, winning the 400 meters and, as I said earlier, setting the world record that would stand for more than a decade. Many of you are too young, but uh, a little over 30 years ago, he, his life was made famous in a movie entitled Chariots of Fire. It was uh, not uh, a very expensive film, and most folks did not think it would do all that much, and yet it was nominated for seven Academy Awards. It won four, including Best Picture of the Year. And for the most part, the movie does accurately portray the life of this man who was completely and totally surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In fact, the movie makes a big deal. It gets some of the details incorrect, but they are uh, accurate in the final assessment. He refused to run on Sunday in his best race because he would not do so on the Lord's day. Whether you agree with his theology or not, you certainly have to admire his conviction against enormous pressure to compromise on that particular issue. Much could be said about this man's life who was all too brief. You see, he would die at the age of 43 in a Japanese internment camp there in China. 
You know, the Bible often uses imagery to, athletic imagery to teach us about the Christian life. Sometimes it's the imagery of boxing as you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sometimes it's wrestling. You find that also in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. But many times in the Bible you also find the imagery of running in a race. And in Hebrews, it's very clear that the race that the author has in mind is a long-distance race because he challenges us three different times to run the race with endurance. Perhaps if the Bible were being written today, he would have actually used the, the word the marathon. Uh, a 26-mile, 385-yard race, or if you're into kilometers, 42.19 kilometers, it is the longest race that is still run in the Olympics. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying to us this morning and what we're going to see illustrated magnificently in the life of Eric Little is that God has called us not to a sprinter's race or even an intermediate distance race, but God has called us to a long distance race. He's called us to a marathon. And therefore, if we're going to run the race well and we're going to finish the race and hear from our Heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant, as Matthew 25, 23 encourages us, we need to have an understanding of the nature of the race. And we need to have a strategy for running the race well. This, by the way, is far more important to me today. Just this last week, I was informed that a student who once sat where you sit, one of the most gifted, talented, promising students I believe I've ever had, who has been very, very successful in terms of ministry, speaking all across the country, now involved in a very significant ministry in another state uh, over the weekend, was forced to resign, having to confess to an extramarital affair with a woman in the church. You see, it's one thing to start well. It's another thing to run well, but it's imperative that we finish well. So my prayer for all of you this morning, as well as my prayer for myself, is that we would not only run well today, but we would run well like Eric Little did all the way to the finish. Eric Little indeed was a man who finished well because his focus from beginning to end was always on the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in his only work that he would write, The Disciplines of the Christian Life, he would say this, and I quote, Jesus' life is the most beautiful life there has ever been. The disciples failed him at his death, but with the resurrection and Pentecost, they awoke to the meaning of the message he had been trying to give them, and they went out to conquer the world. Eric Little would gladly follow in their footsteps. He went out to conquer the world. It is my prayer that we will go out to conquer the world. And so how is it that we can do it and do it well all the way to the end? Three truths I want to share with you this morning from this text of Scripture. Each of these truths beautifully illustrated in the life of Eric Little. Number one, we need to find encouragement as we run. Verse one begins, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The therefore, of course, is therefore a reason. It is pointing you back to chapter 11 in this great hall of faith that have already run the race, have already crossed the finish line, and they are there as a great source of encouragement to you and to me to stay in the race. One of the reasons I love history and one of the reasons I love uh, Christian biography and one of the reasons I really love missionary biographies is I am encouraged when I begin to get discouraged or I'm having a down day and we all are going to have those. They encourage me to stay in the race. Of course, the author says, since we 
are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. He would have included himself to those who needed this word of encouragement as well as one who is there to encourage as well. Now, when you look at the life of Eric Little, and I want you to hear me very carefully on this one. When you look at his life, if you raise the question, who above all encouraged him to walk and run the path that he did? The answer is very, very simple. His parents. He received his inspiration to run the race that he ran primarily from his mom and his dad. They really were his earthly spiritual heroes. He was, like his parents, uh, a missionary. He had been born, indeed, on the missionary field on January the 16th, 1902, there in China to James and Mary Little. They were strongly devoted to the gospel, and they felt the call to go to the mission field, and so they left under the auspices of the London Missionary Society, and they took the gospel there to China. They would serve there virtually all of their life, and like their son. They would serve in very turbulent and very dangerous and difficult times. They were on the mission field when what we know historically as the Box Rebellion took place, when more than 200 missionaries were brutally martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They served in a very rural and tough area where when the Box Rebellion broke out, 80 churches were burned to the ground and hundreds, some estimate thousands of Christians were killed in that particular region alone. Uh, the London Missionary Society began to evacuate the missionaries out of there, but uh, not James and not Mary Little. In fact, when he received a letter from them about evacuating, he wrote them back and said, and I quote, I will gladly undertake the duties pertaining to a real pioneer situation. In other words, he was in essence saying, I will stay where I am. And I'm willing to go to the harder and tougher regions as well. And this made a massive, massive impact on the life of Eric Little. In fact, his close friend and biographer, D.P. Thompson, gave an address in 1946, shortly after his death, and he raised this very important question. What was the secret to Eric Little? And here was his answer, and I quote, It was, first of all, the home from which he came. No one who knew Little's father and mother, no one who had been a guest in their home who had sensed its atmosphere and its outlook and had become aware of the spirit which permeated it could be in any doubt about that. Home was the first great formative influence in the making and the shaping of Eric Little, as it was of so many. It was there that he got both his ideals and his inspirations. Of course, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 reminds us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This was certainly true in the life of Eric Little, who caught what I like to call the missionary bug from his parents as a small child. In fact, in 1932, eight years after he had won the gold medal, he was back in uh, London, back in England on his first, actually Scotland, that's where he was from. Uh, he was back from his, uh, for his furlough, and he was interviewed by a Canadian journalist by the name of R.E. Knowles. And so he's back after being gone for eight years. He still held the world record in the 400 meters. He had refused to run uh, in 1928. I'm on the mission field serving the Lord Jesus. He would not run in 1932. He was only coming back for a short time for his furlough. And so R.E. Knowles asked him this question. Are you glad you gave your life to missionary work? Don't you miss the limelight, the rush, the frenzy, the cheers, the red uh, rich red wine of victory. 
Very little thought for just a moment. And then with grace but firmness, he responded, and I quote, Oh, well, of course it's natural for a chap to think over all that sometimes. But I'm glad I'm in the work I'm engaging in. A fellow's life counts more at this, being a missionary, than it does the other, being a world-famous athlete. Indeed, he said, I fight for not a corruptible crown, but an incorruptible one. You know, and perhaps David Guest said it best, Eric Little, rugby international and Olympic gold medalist, universally admired for his high character, happy humor, and for his Christianity, brushed uh, fame calmly aside to return as a missionary to China where he had been born. You see, Eric Little never got away from the impact and influence of his mom and of his dad. And so he turned aside from fame and fortune, and he surrendered his life in total surrender and obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, walking away from a famous uh, track career and following the Lord Jesus as a missionary. I say this and I move on. Don't you ever underestimate the influence you have on your children. Don't you ever underestimate what they are seeing in you with those little eyes watching you every step of every day. The fact of the matter is there may indeed be some young champions for Christ being formed right now in your very home. Question, what do they see when they are looking at you? Eric Little received tremendous encouragement from his mom and dad that stayed with him all the days of his life. Secondly, you need to focus on the essentials as you run. And in chapter 12 and verse 1, there are three of them that we find very clearly articulated. He says, first of all, the author, let us lay aside every weight. We've got to run the race cleanly. Secondly, he says, and the sin which clings so closely. I believe the sin there is the sin of unbelief, so you've got to run the race with full confidence in God. And then finally... Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You've got to run the race with consistency. Eric Little was a very shy individual. Uh, He was a good student, but he was a great athlete. But he was quiet and shy. He's the kind of guy that in the classroom sat in the back and never said a word. He's the kind of guy that when he walked into the room, no one would even notice that he was there. And he certainly would not move to the center and try to become the focus of attention. And uh, In other words, he was not driven by ego. He was not a narcissist. And the fact of the matter is, too many times in the ministry, there are too many narcissists. Too many people with big egos. Too many people who only care for themselves and their agenda. This was so untrue of Eric Little. In fact, D.P. Thompson recognized that with his growing fame as an athlete, he certainly could be used for the cause of the gospel. And so D.P. Thompson asked Eric Little in 1923, one year before he would run in the Olympics, to go with him to an evangelistic rally and to just share his testimony. Uh, Eric said, no, 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 and finally, okay. And on the very day that he was to go and share his testimony, he nearly backed out. But that morning, by God's divine providence, he received a letter from his sister, Jenny, who was living in China. Eric, like many missionary children, especially boys, was back in a boarding school there in Scotland. And so it just so happened that on this particular day, he receives a letter from his sister, Jenny. And in that letter, she closes with Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. 
for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Eric Little took that as a sign from the Lord that he was to move forward and to speak. And so, though he was soft-spoken and rather shy, he went that night and shared his testimony, and the response was far more than anyone could have ever hoped or imagined. In fact, following that, Whenever Eric Little was to be speaking somewhere, crowds would flock to hear him. Because he was a great orator? No. Because he was an incredible theologian? No. Because he was a phenomenal apologist? No, no, no. They went to hear him because they saw in him a humility and a sincerity that they could not explain. In fact, later in his uh, journal... He would look at this as a, as a major point in his life. He, he referred to it as a, a fork in the road. And again, hear me this morning. All of us in ministry will come to multiple forks in the road. And the decisions you make when you come to those forks will decide whether your life goes here or here. Here or here. Here or here. And you make the wrong decision way back here, and you don't wind up over here doing something great for the glory of God, but you wind up over here living a life that has been wasted and of little use altogether. What did he say about this turning point in his life? Simply this. I was brought up in a Christian home where the stories of the Bible were often told and became familiar to me. In school, the stories of the Bible and the teachings of Christ were placed before me. The the beauty of the Christian life, it began to appeal to me. But then the time came when the appeal of Christ became more personal. And I began to realize it was going to affect my life. In this experience of Christ, there was a sense of sin. But there was not nearly so great, that was not nearly so great as the sense of being called to do a piece of work for which I was, don't miss this now, to do a piece of work for which I was absolutely unqualified. Been there? Done that? I certainly have. 870 on the SAT the first time, 910 the second time. Every paper I turned in my first year had more red ink on it than blood from a pig that's been stuck by a knife. It was brutal. God should forgive those men for having treated me that way, and uh, I certainly haven't, but maybe he will. But anyway, you've been there, done that, and you're like, Lord, I, I do not have the gifts and the abilities to do this. Great. You're exactly at the place where God can now really use you. And so Eric Little said, I shrank from going forward, but at this time I finally decided, I love this, I finally decided to put it all on Christ. After all, if he called me to do it, then he would have to supply the necessary power. And going forward, that power was given to me. And so he moved forward understanding that he had to run this race cleanly. He had to run this race with confidence. He had to run this race with consistency. A quick word about each. Cleanly lay aside every weight, the text says. Put away any excess baggage. Get rid of anything in your life that would weigh you down or slow you down and keep you from running your best for Jesus. In Eric Little's life, he developed what I call the ouch test. He called it the fourfold test of of four questions. He said every serious believer of Christ should ask himself every single day. Here are these four questions. Number one, am I truthful? Am I truthful? Number two, am I honest? Am I honest? Number three, am I pure? 
Am I pure? And number four, am I selfish? Am I truthful? Am I honest? Am I pure? Am I selfish? Those are indeed good questions that every one of us could ask ourselves every single day. He saw these as how we could prevent these weights from slipping into our lives and slowing us down. There were other weights that he also pointed out very clearly. I I could list a number of them. I'll just note a couple prejudices. I love the fact that he said, and I quote, I believe this God's will that the whole world should be without any barriers of race, color, class, or anything else that breaks the spirit of fellowship. Rebellion. He said, surrender means the end of the great rebellion of our wills. Lordship. To speak of Jesus as Lord means that I give Him the control of my life. My greatest joy is just to do what pleases Him. So He said we had to run the race cleanly. He also said we had to run the race with confidence because we must lay aside not only uh, those weights, but also the sin, which the text says clings so closely. I often refer to this as the octopus of the Christian life because the octopus that can slip into every one of our lives is what I believe to be the sin of unbelief. I could say it another way. It's what I call the I need Jesus plus trap. I need Jesus plus trap. And here's the deal. You add anything to Jesus and you now step into the world and live in the world of unbelief. No, we need to be like Job who said in chapter 13 and verse 15 of the book that bears his name, speaking of God, though he slay me, I will still trust in him. And so Eric Little came up again with four keys that he said would keep us from living in a world of unbelief. They're very simple. Number one, keep your eyes off yourself and on your Savior. Number two, keep your eyes off yourself and on God's strength. Number three, fear comes by looking at oneself or others instead of looking at Jesus. And fourthly, to believe means to act on what in your heart you know is right. Faith will act and victory will follow. So you've got to run the race, he says, with confidence. But also, he believed you had to run the race with consistency. If there's two words that would help us understand this morning... The secret of the life of Eric Little, it's very easy. It is the two words, radical surrender. In fact, it would be the last words he would ever voice to the nurse who was attending to him as he died from a brain tumor. In fact, he said very clearly when it comes to surrender, God's will is only revealed to us step by step. He reveals more as we obey what we know. Surrender means that we are prepared to follow his will step by step as it is revealed No matter what. You see, it's one thing to to believe God and walk with Him today. It's another thing to believe God and walk with Him for a lifetime. God calls us to run this race cleanly and with confidence and with consistency. So we, we find encouragement, we focus on the essentials, and then finally, we follow the example as we run. And, of course, we get the best example of all there in verse 2 and verse 3. It is the Lord Jesus looking to Jesus. That is a participle in the present tense, which means you continually look at Jesus. The word is a very strong word in the Greek text, which means to to gaze at or to focus your, your eyesight so intently that you're not distracted by anything. 
I still think the best way to illustrate it is what happens when you get married. I, I married Charlotte May the 27th, 1978, so we're coming up on 34 years in just a couple of weeks. And though I didn't say it exactly like this when we got married, uh, when I did marry her, I, I did say something along these lines. Charlotte, girl, I want you to know that uh, there are a lot of beautiful and, and gifted and, and talented women out there in the world. And, of course, that certainly is true. Some of you have married such women. But the fact is, from this day forward and for the rest of my life, I make a promise to you, I make a promise to God, I make a promise to these witnesses, I make a promise to our future children and grandchildren, and hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. When you get married, you said all of that. You said all of that. From this day forward and for the rest of my life, I will have eyes for no other woman but you. Guys, I'm just telling you, Make a commitment in your life right now that I made to her 34 years ago. I will not, and I have not been ever, alone with a woman other than she. And I continually remind myself day in and day out what a precious gift I have in this lady who has loved me and stood by my side for almost 34 years, who bore four wonderful children to us and who's been my biggest cheerleader. Why in the world would I get my eyes anywhere else? Now, take all of that and it pales in comparison to what you have in Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Why? He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And for the joy that was set before him, note the parallelism with the end of verse 1, just as we ran in a race set before us, God's Son ran in a race that was set before him. And what did that race involve? A cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Eric Little was passionately in love with Jesus. He said in his discipleship journal or book, I believe in Jesus the Christ. He is the Son of God as my example as my Lord and as my Savior. And, of course, you find all of those ideas in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and verse 3. In fact, he made this very profound statement in his Disciplines of the Christian Life, quote, have a great aim, have a high standard, make Jesus your ideal. Be like him in character. Be like him in outlook and attitude towards God and man. Make him an ideal, not merely to be admired, but also to be followed. But having him as an example or ideal is not enough. I find I need more than an ideal. I need a Savior to save me from the guilt of sin, to save me from the power of sin. I need a Savior whose grace is sufficient to enable me to live a life of unselfish service and love. And so he understood how central it was to have Jesus Christ at the very focal point of all of his life. And one of the things I would raise is how was it that he was able to do this? Again, radical surrender and a natural humility that grew out of this radical surrender to Christ. Again, listen to what he wrote in his discipleship uh, uh, book. Humility looks at its sins but also looks beyond them to the Savior from sin and cast itself upon His mercy. Humility is powerful, for it is based on the sense of being absolutely dependent on the grace of God. No cross, no crown. This cross is where men saw revealed the magnitude of God's love and the awfulness of their own sin. 
Nor was that all, all for there was a Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. Forgiveness. The cross is not the end, therefore. So follow the victory of the resurrection. The resurrection with its great meaning for life. It means the possibility of a new life here and now, a risen life, a new quality of being, life, eternal life. Christ has risen, new life, new joy, new hope. So he says to us, look to Jesus, but also he said, think about Jesus. Let me move to bring things to a close. Just before Pearl Harbor in 1941, Eric arranged for his pregnant wife Florence and their two daughters to leave China. He saw what was happening as the Japanese had invaded China and were running roughshod over much of the country. He had planned to follow them, but that would never happen because before he could get out of China, things were locked down. And as a result of that, in August of 1943, he was placed in an internment camp. He would never see his third little girl who'd be born while he was there in that internment camp. But yet God was in the midst of all of this. David Mitchell, who was also a fellow missionary and prisoner with him in the internment camp, says that many people would never have survived what they went through had it not been for Eric Little. In fact, he describes the place in this kind of a way, the squalor of the open cesspools, rats, flies, and disease in the crowded camp. Life took on a normal routine, though without the faithful and cheerful support of Eric Little, many people would never have been able to manage. Eric Little died on February the 21st, 1945, just before the end of World War II. He, by the way, like uh, Carey, like Judson, like C.T. Studd, and I could go on for a long, long time, like Bill Wallace, like Jim Elliott, is buried in the land where he went to share the gospel. Contrary to popular opinion, if you've ever watched the movie, you, you know the very famous line where Eric Little says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. He never said that. I think he believed it, but he never said it. But he did say this, we are all missionaries wherever we go. And we're either bringing people nearer to Christ or we are repelling them from Christ. You know, one of the ways you find out what someone is really like is you talk to the people who really know them, who lived life with them, not from long distance, but up close and personal. And so as I move to close, can I give you a few testimonies about the man, Eric Little, David McGavin, General Secretary of the National Bible Society of Scotland, quote, Eric Little was the most Christ-like man I ever knew. Arnold Bryson, London Missionary Society, yesterday a man said to me, of all the men I have known, Eric Little was the one in whose character and life the Spirit of Jesus Christ was preeminently manifested. D.P. Thompson, his close friend and first biographer, never in the years we worked together, in shadow or in sunshine, in times of testing and difficulty, in hours of exhilarating triumph, did I hear him say or know him to do anything of which I can imagine Christ would have disapproved. He was the most consistent Christian character <clears throat> as well <clears throat> as one of the most attractive and winning of personalities of any man I have never known Intimately, Let me step aside for just a moment. A couple of weeks ago, right after Easter, one of you sent me this email. <clears throat> uh, this particular person, whom I will not name, had to work on Easter. 
at one of our local stores. And I want you to listen to what he wrote because what you're going to hear here is so unlike what I just read about Eric Little. Dr. Aiken. I wanted to share my recent Easter experience. I'm currently employed at Harris Teeter in Raleigh and had to work on Easter. This was bothersome to me, but I was determined to share the gospel at least one person. I first spoke with a co-worker who is a Muslim. When I asked him why he rejects Christianity, he shared that I was about to see in a couple of hours. I continued sharing with another person who rejects all religions, and I asked the same of her, and she said about 10 o'clock you will see how Christians act. At 10 a.m., I listened on the headset that management is required to wear, and the store director announced, Get ready. The Christians uh, should be released from their churches. Sure enough, the experience made my eyes water. The worst, most obnoxious, and horribly rude customers were those who were dressed for church. One customer jumped ahead of the line and demanded service because they were in a hurry and just got out of church. I simply thought, Does she even know Jesus? Or she certainly did not hear the message. Others demanded that we work fast because they were in a hurry to church. There were also the select few that demanded to get a gift certificate for their rotisserie chicken since our policy guarantees rotisseries hot and available from 7, 10 to 7, or they are free. Sadly, we cook as many as we can uh, fit in the oven, and they are the only ones that hold us to the guarantee, these Christians. By the way, if you've got to get a chicken on Sunday and act like a donkey's back in, why don't you just cook one Saturday night? Why don't you just stay home Saturday night, Sunday morning, don't go out and embarrass the Lord Jesus by acting like a donkey's back in. I could think of more colorful metaphors, but this is chapel, and so I'm going to leave it right there. I mean, what is the deal? I mean, have we just lost our mind? Well, it, he goes on. The day continued to worsen as the churchgoers looked down on the employees as if churchgoers were a better class of people. It was even harder to share the gospel in the break room since, the most, since most perceived Christians as stuck up, rude, and inconsiderate. Dr. A, can I share this with you because I remember what you've taught us about tipping our servers. Don't you forget that either. And how we should be kind and compassionate. I also hope you might be willing to reinforce that us pastors, ministers, and students of the Word should be reflecting the hope that lives inside of us and teaching our churches about how we as Christians should behave in public. For me, this was the first Easter that I shed tears and not happy tears. It was hard to realize how much pain Christians can cause the world when they care only about themselves and not others. My last quote about Eric Little comes from an unknown prostitute who said, and I quote, He was the first and only man to do something for me without asking for a favor in return. Eric Little said this, and I do close. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God to offer its blessings to those who would take heed and instruct people in its obligations and responsibilities. When he left, he committed to the church the duty of carrying on his work. The church is his voice in the world, announcing the good news about God. Every individual in the church shares this responsibility. We are called to be his witnesses. How are we doing? Let's pray. Father... I thank you for the life of this great missionary 
who, though an Olympic champion with world-renowned fame, cast it all aside to, in radical surrender, obediently follow the call of Jesus on his life. Lord, as we bring this semester and this year to a close, it is my prayer that you might raise up among these who are here today an army of men and women just like Eric Little who are so much in love with the Lord Jesus they dare not do one thing to bring shame to his name but always lived in such a way as to cause others to think, my goodness, that man, that woman is so much like Jesus. That is the most Christ-like person I think I've ever seen. I can think of no higher praise that might be ascribed to any one of us. And so, Lord, with great embarrassment, I acknowledge that cannot be said of me, but would to God that it could. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.